Glenn. Welcome to the Hoops Dramas Podcast. Adam Schaffler joined by Kurt Schroeder. Kurt, great to see you via Zoom here. Uh, we got a Chicago-Nevada connection right now. How are you doing, buddy? Oh, not bad, Fu. How are you? I'm living the dream, man. Uh, the, the cat's out of the bag. I'll be heading to uh, North Dakota soon. So we'll have a few episodes uh, recorded on my end from Chicago. Uh, but, you know, hooping out all over the world, as they say. Bison territory. That's big for you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I am uh, pretty excited. Uh, Trey Lance, you know, uh, Carson Wentz. And I got some years left of eligibility. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll head up there, probably uh, join an intramural team. Then I'll get noticed. And then uh, next thing you know, I'll probably be playing some slot receiver. And uh, then next thing you know, I'll be the next uh, great short white wide receiver for the New England Patriots. So everything's coming together for me. Yeah, the next Hunter Renfro down in Vegas. Uh, he's, he's it, the- it could work out. He's at the top of my uh, radar on uh, fantasy football. You know, he I'm trying to get him on waivers this week. Hopefully uh, Renfro is going to be a food dog soon. There you go. Yeah. Now, did, did you catch that uh, that that wordplay? It's a little highbrow. Food dogs. No, it's over my head. Oh, it's uh, it's like a Chinese guardian dog or like a lion, technically. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, that's that's the team name, the Food Hawks. Very good. Anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, our fantasy football teams or my uh, make-believe football career, but we are talking about uh, some NBA previews. I think this is like the real kickoff for season three. We had our we had our fantasy football show already, uh, but this is where the rubber really uh, meets the road as we get into some actual NBA talk and we're going to start with the Atlantic division previewing the Atlantic division and as we said before the red light went on indicating that we are recording we really think that this is going to be one of the more interesting divisions in the NBA Uh, there's one team that I don't think is very interesting all the other ones I think are really interesting before we get into the specific teams do you have any just general thoughts on this division as a whole um I mean just looking at how everyone finished last year I have taken a look at how they finished uh everyone but the last place team finishing in a different spot this year so a little bit of a shakeup in I guess you would say the top four teams in that division how I see it Okay. Yeah. I think that there's definitely massive changes and then more changes to come. Uh, eventually we'll get to those one and a half elephants in the room. Uh, maybe it is the same elephant and uh, maybe they'll be traded for each other. We really don't know. Uh, and that's another thing to keep in mind is we're recording this on the 6th of October. And so at the beginning of these shows, we're just going to let you know when they are, if anything happens, uh, then going forward, we'll be able to address that. Uh, but the date of recording on this one, it's about 2 p.m. Central time. And uh, it's the 6th of October. Uh, let's jump right in with, I think, the team, like, just knock out the boring one first. How do you, you know, we can kind of talk about the Raptors because they're they're just not very exciting. 
Yeah, I have them finishing fifth. I mean, they did last year as well, but have them finishing fifth within the division. I, I like how you started this food. You're starting at the bottom and working your way up, building a little bit of anticipation here. Exactly. Um, uh, so what is their win total, the over-under of what is expected of the Raptors this year, Adam? Uh, the over-under with the Toronto Raptors is 35 and a half. And I think that's an appropriate line. I'm probably taking the under. They were a 27 uh, win team last year, if I'm not mistaken. So I have them finishing a little bit over that. And maybe it's just me giving Nick Nurse a little bit too much credit. Um, but he is definitely one of those coaches who's able to do a lot with not a whole lot. So yeah. I, you know, they're one of those teams that on paper they should finish fifth. But who knows? I mean, in my opinion, Nick Nurse, one of the best coaches in the league for sure. Um, and I also think that something that can't be overlooked is they're now playing in Toronto again this year. That's a um, really, playing, really, really good point. Playing down in Tampa last year, just kind of out of their own element. Um, that was, I mean, obviously people for the most part didn't have fans last year, but at the same time to be without fans in a completely different market. Um, whereas Toronto, I think everyone knows is one of the best crowd environments. I think that'll give them a boost for sure, which is why I have them a little bit over, um, losing Kyle Lowry, I think is a major loss for them. Right. Uh, he was obviously like, you know, one of their better players skill wise, but he's also a glue guy on their team. So losing him to Miami is something that's going to hurt them. But I love the addition of Scotty Barnes in the draft, just a, a really athletic, you know, wing, big, however they want to play him. Uh, you know, one of the better players, in my opinion, that was available. And they obviously took him early. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do. But then just the development of having kind of their core, I guess you could say, back when Van Vliet, Trent Jr., uh, Ananobi, and then, you know, if, if Siakam stays with them, um, you know, obviously he's their best player. Right. But you know, if he gets dealt, that would obviously lower their win total, in my opinion. Like I said, we have the right to uh, change our takes based on future developments. But as it stands right now on the sixth, um, that's kind of just where I have him. Chris Boucher, I think, uh, really jumped out at me last year. Yeah, really good shot blocker. Really good shot blocker. Yeah, just really athletic and run the floor. I think he's like 6'11", something like that. So I like their youth. I like their athleticism. Um, and I just think that they have a lot of unselfish guys there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, having fifth in the division, I, I think it's just because you look at the roster, you look at how they finished last year, you look at, you know, is Siakam going to be there? Is he going to get traded? At what point does he get traded? If, you know, things start off rough for them. And I see a lot of good role players, a lot of players that would flourish in other systems, maybe in a, you know, kind of a, a lesser role, but eventually role players aren't going to be the ones put you over the top. So that's why I have them fifth. Yeah. I think it is a team of role players just to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned. Uh, yeah. Kyle Lowry's out. Goran Dragic is in. I, I just want to quickly say that Kyle Lowry is the greatest rapper of all time. In my opinion, uh, it doesn't mean he's the best Raptor of all time, but when you talk about what he's done for the franchise, he was there for the championship He's been uh, there when they were trying so hard to get over the hump. Uh, he's really an embodiment of kind of Nick Nurse basketball too, really unselfish, plays his heart out on defense. They're going to miss him, and someday his jersey number is going to be retired. Uh, but I think that they will be able to at least hold down that guard spot between Goran Dragic 
and Fred Van Vliet. It's an interesting team. You said that you think they're just over that 35 and a half. I got them just under. Uh, I actually had them at 31. And then you reminded me that they didn't play at all in Canada last year. And so I actually am going to bump that up to 34. I'm still going just under. I think it's a fun but limited team, right? They could match up really well with a team like the Celtics or a team like the Bulls. You know, our our two teams we're pushing for because those teams uh, aren't super big. You know, uh, you got Horford or you got uh, Vucevic, but those are teams that I expect to play with pace. And I think that a team with uh, that style would be a good matchup for the Raptors. But let's say they run into a Phoenix or a Denver or a Utah that has a really, really good center. Uh, I think that's where Denver has problems. Uh, Boucher, I think does continue to take another step forward. He's kind of a a late arrival in the NBA. He's going to be 29 this season. Uh, And it looks like he's a 6'9", but a very tall 6'9". One of the better shot blockers in the NBA. 2.8 blocks per 36 minutes last season. But I just kind of look at this roster and... It's, it's just not enough. You got some really good defenders. OG Ananobi, I really believe in. He's uh, just four years is a pro. Uh, Pascal Siakam, but Siakam's not necessarily an elite rebounder either. I And he honestly was kind of disappointing at times as a shooter last year. I think they expected him to take a bigger step. And I don't think he's the superstar that they need him to be, or maybe not even an all-star, but he is like a really, really solid piece uh, 21, seven and five last year for him, but only uh 29.7 from three. I think a lot of people were hoping those numbers were going to take a jump. And he was actually down from the year before uh, 2019, 20 season. He was uh, at 23 points per game. And so maybe this guy's starting to kind of like hover around where he's going to be as an NBA player, but it's extremely disappointing when you have a guy who's coming off a 37% season and then a 36% season from three drop back under that 30% line. When for me, the the Mendoza line, if you will, is kind of that 33, five, you know, you want to be able to hit around that 34% clip and then teams just have to guard you differently. And that opens up everything, especially when you're trying to, create space for Dragic to create plays or uh, Fred Van Vliet, who I think does have to be the best scorer on this team. Like I said, they're going to be able to be a scrappy defensive team that is going to be a tough win for anybody, but I think they're going to be in that 30 to 36 win category just because they have very real limitations offensively. And when you look up and down that roster, you know, Goran Dragic is uh, 13 years in the NBA. Uh, Fred Van Vliet has to be your best offensive player. And no disrespect to Van Vliet, but he's not going to be some superstar unless Gary Trent Jr. goes nuts. And I do like Gary Trent Jr. a lot. I think that that was kind of a win-win trade. they lost a really important piece in Norman Powell, but for where they are as a franchise, getting Gary Trent Jr. last year, a guy who's an elite three-point shooter uh, for the Raptors last year, averaged 16 points per game, uh, 35% from deep. And what's really interesting is his father, Gary Trent Sr., was also traded 
from the uh, from the Blazers to the Raptors. So just a little side note there. Uh, but I just don't think that they have enough firepower to really do much of, of anything in what's a pretty stacked division, at least on paper. I think one other thing that I just want to throw in is they're not a, a team that really plays with pace. So it'll be interesting to see how they run in half court sets. Yeah. Um, Lowry, obviously a great floor general and getting everyone in the, in the right space. So without him, how do they run their half court set? As you right. mentioned, Dragic, a really good facilitator, really good player. So, you know, maybe there isn't a drop off there. Um, but it's just one of those things to, you know, be concerned about to a certain extent where it's like when you had a guy who would get everyone involved, get everyone in the right play, make sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing. He's now gone. And since you're not really much of a, a tall, lanky, athletic team who likes to get up and down the court, you know, uh, and they, they like to slow people down. How does that play in this season? I think it's something to look out for as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just, uh, I'm not buying it. What do you think Scotty Barnes brings to the table long-term though? Do you think this is somebody who they can truly build around? Man, I don't know what his ceiling is to be honest. So it's, I guess it just, it just remains to be seen. I mean, like, I don't, I don't expect him to be a Kawhi Leonard. I don't expect him to be a Kyle Lowry in terms of like, you know, ceiling top skill. Um, and I, I also just don't know where exactly he fits in, um, in, in the lineup. You know, does he come off the bench? Does he start to get some minutes? Um, I, I, I don't know. It's so tough to tell with rookies who, you know, you, you don't find like a, a solidified role from them right from the jump. Like with Mellow Ball, we were all like, okay, he's going to be their starting point guard. He's going to run the show. We know exactly what we're going to get out of him. And then, you know, he kind of blew us away in terms of being a little bit better than we initially thought. But just these kind of these athletes, you're kind of like, okay, how does it fit into the system? You know, what do they bring to the table? So I know this is kind of a cop out, but it's just like, it kind of remains to be seen in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, Let's see, just checking the Raptors where they were in pace last year, right around the middle of the pack. And it's weird because you, as you mentioned, they do kind of like slow things down, but geez, if I had this roster, I would want to speed things up because what Siakam I'm seeing, you know, some projected starting lineups of Siakam and Scotty. That just seems small to me. But, you know, Marcus Gasol's long gone, and they don't have that traditional big man. And uh, we'll see how much they believe in Boucher. We'll see what they do with him. Uh, let's move right along here. Uh, let's see. Let's, let's talk about, do you want to save the Sixers for a little later in the episode or jump right into that? Um, why don't we go with, who did you have projected to finish fourth in the division? Uh, the Sixers. Okay. I had the Knicks there. Okay. Then let's, uh, let's go with the Knicks. Cause I think the Sixers are a little more interesting. Okay. And what is the over under for win total for the Knicks? All right. Let's take a quick look here. The New York Knicks 41 and a half. Okay. I have them at 42 wins. So interesting. I guess you could say, uh, you know, a half game over. So, you know, right there on that line. Um, and as I mentioned uh, earlier, this is obviously a, an 82 game season. Uh, so last year, when you look at their record of 41 and 31, um, you know, they, they were hot down the stretch there. Um, but one of the things that stands out to me 
And I don't want to put words in your mouth being a Bulls fan. You obviously have your own opinions. But, you know, Tom Thibodeau, great coach. But at what point does he continue to run people into the ground? So in, in the short term, maybe the Knicks are, uh, you know, a, a quality team who kind of outperforms what people initially thought of them, which is obviously what happened last year. But as he just continues to grind and grind and grind and everyone's practicing and, you know, everyone's playing heavy minutes, it's just one of those things where one of the things that stood out to me, at least looking at this team from a season ago, is they didn't really deal with injuries. And I don't think that that is something that you can expect this year. You know, every team gets hobbled to a certain extent. So at what point does a big domino fall? Or at some point this season, does someone get hurt? Or, you know, are they limited in minutes? I just don't see Thibodeau's plan, I guess, as a sustainable one. Um, so one of the things that I'm also looking at, too, is, is Julius Randle continue to to ascend, you know, or as right. he reaches the ceiling. Uh, that's something that I think we'll have to look at. Um, the big additions, I think, were the fact that they brought on Kemba Walker and they right. brought on Evan Fournier. And those are things that people are talking about because I think that they replaced Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock, who haven't necessarily been great pieces. So yeah. on paper, you look and you're like, okay, Kemba and Fournier, you know, maybe those guys are upgrades. But at the same time, you know, I didn't like what I saw from Fournier for the most part last year. Um, you know, this isn't FIBA Fournier. This is uh, NBA Fournier. And Kemba Walker's knee has been busted for years. So while he's healthy right now, is he going to be a guy who can stay on the floor, give you that consistent 18 to 20 points a game, shooting well from three, shooting a little bit better from, from the field? Um, you know, we'll have to see how the health plays out with them. Uh, and then another thing that kind of stands out to me as well is the backcourt. There's kind of a log jam there at the point guard position with Kemba, uh, Derek Rose, and then Emmanuel quickly. So I'm just curious. Those are all three really good players when healthy. Um, I don't think you can play all three at the same time. Maybe they'll find a rotation where that works. But with so many, I guess, decent players at one position, who's going to get the minutes? How is it going to work? Um, I'm curious to see how that plays out as well. And then another thing that stands out, and maybe I'm just being a pessimist here, but a lot of guys last year shot career high from three. Um, like Julius Randle, I think he was like 41%. Uh, RJ Barrett shooting a little bit better than he had, he had previously. Um, and it's just one of those things where can we, and Derek Rose is in that same boat. So can we expect everyone to have career high from three again? You know, maybe, maybe they get better or maybe they kind of fall back down to earth and it's not as uh, efficient as they used to be. So, and this is another last, last point I want to throw out there. And I don't know if it's a lazy take, but I just think the East got a lot better. So yeah, I agree can, with that. So can we expect, you know, the teams that kind of were bottom feeders that, you know, maybe took advantage of a, of a situation like the Hawks or the Knicks, you know, teams who uh, were not great a couple seasons ago who kind of rose to the top last year. Can we expect them to play the same or can we expect these other teams to get healthy and play a little bit better than they were capable of last year. So I think that when the dust settles, you know, maybe the the top teams either take another step or kind of go down a little bit and the bottom teams kind of rise up a little bit and everything kind of evens out. Okay. Yeah, I agree with almost everything you said there. 
but there's there's some nuance to it, especially when you talk about that log jam at the point guard position. I'm going to take your point there and I'm going to apply it to another point you made. So you do have kind of a bunch of point guards, but you also mentioned this is a team with injury concerns that was lucky enough to stay relatively healthy last year. But one thing that I think bodes really well for the Knicks is they're kind of sneaky deep. And you talk about the Thibodeau identity, a big part of that, especially when he was with the Chicago Bulls, is this next man up identity. And so they aren't going to be totally screwed at the point guard, for example, if one of those guys goes out. Because you're going to still have, like if Walker gets hurt, you're going to still have Rose or quickly. If, if Rose gets hurt, you still have Walker and quickly. Uh, I think that we are going to see some fun, smaller lineups. And you look at some of the things Tom Thibodeau has done with point guards in general. He got Aaron Brooks a, a second take on life, really. You know, he got him uh another opportunity to play when people thought he might be done and the same can be said for a lot of players he did that with John Lucas he did that with well CJ Watson was already like a really respected guard around, around the league but he played great under Thibodeau um there's another yeah Nate Robinson he's done a lot with these uh point guards now he has three really pretty good point guards in Rose and Rose I'd like to see use a little bit more at the shooting guard position uh, this season, just because I think you have that luxury. I think you could have some really fun lineups with him and Walker on the floor together. Uh, but even looking at the front court, it's a luxury to be able to have Mitchell Robinson. Hopefully he is right with his body this year. Nerlens Noel and Taj Gibson. That's some some good defense there. This team was one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, but like we saw against the Atlanta Hawks, the offense wasn't good enough. I think that they, they actually did take some important steps forward right now. Uh, adding Kemba and Fournier is huge. And if they ran into a team like the Atlanta Hawks, again, I think they'd be able to make it a longer series, if not flat out win. I'm actually a lot higher than the projected win total. I think that their ceiling is probably 48 games. And I think their floor is 42 because I mean, shoot, Thibodeau teams do really well in the regular season. Uh, I think this is the classic Thibodeau team and it's the classic New York Knicks team too. Like a good regular season team that doesn't have any distant uh, business being a real threat in the playoffs, uh, but like really tough. Uh, Knicks basketball is back. They're going to be a really good defensive team. They're going to be a tough team to beat on any night, uh, but they they just don't really have it. The guy I'm keeping my eye on is RJ Barrett. If he can step into that 20 points per game plus club, then you have to take these guys a lot more seriously because he is someone who came into the NBA with very high expectations and rightfully so. And this is that year where in theory, he should take that next step. And if he can be the Robin to the Julius Randall Batman, then you're really looking at a pretty song, uh, a strong squad. So he's 21 years old right now. He averaged 17.6 points per game last year. Uh, he's a really good shooter, 40% from deep. What's going to happen in those playoffs games when he needs to step up 
and instead of, you know, he had uh, 17 in that last game on only 35% shooting. Like this is where he needs to be able to carry that team a little bit more. They lost that game 103 to 89. No, RJ, we need 33 from you. We need about twice as much as you did last year, especially in the playoffs against Atlanta, who's not a great three point or a, a great they're not a great team. They're a good team. They're definitely not a great defensive team. Um, but RJ Barrett has all the potential to be just a really good all around basketball player. He had good assist numbers, good rebound numbers in the playoffs against the Hawks, that series. And I do think that the Knicks are a team we have to start taking pretty seriously. They're going to flirt with 50 games in my opinion. So I would definitely, if you're a betting man and you're looking at that, uh, 41 and a half. Frankly, I think that's like uh, the word that comes to mind is disrespectful. Like, I mean, it's just, come on. Like this, these guys proved that they are at least a good team last year. Like how many wins did they have last year? You said you got that up there. Yeah, it was a uh, 41, I believe 41 and 31 was their record. And obviously that was in a shortened season. Yeah. So like 45, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going 44, 45 wins. Like, as you said, the rest of the East got better, but they're going to have some continuity. They have a coach that really is able to get the best out of his players consistently. And it's going to depend on health because you don't want Kemba Walker to get out. But even if he does, and I think Kemba Walker and D Rose, obviously they have injury concerns, but as long as they're both not hurt at the same time, that would create quite the weird situation for them. Then they should be solid. It's going to come down to R.J. Barrett. He's the X factor. If R.J. Barrett has a season where he's even a fringe all-star, someone you talk about after the teams are announced and you're like, oh, he got snubbed. If we're talking about R.J. Barrett as an all-star snub, then the six or, or uh, the, the Knicks are having a very good year. I'm also curious to see how Obi Toppin uh, you know, plays or develops this year because they got basically next to nothing out of him last year. Yeah. It was kind of a, a weird spot, too, because Randall plays so many minutes. And Toppin is obviously, you know, a six nine forward who, you know, do you play him at the four and move Randall to the five in a small ball lineup? Uh, I don't think that you have Toppin necessarily play a, a wing position because he's only a 30% three-point shooter. But, you know, he gave him four points a game last, last year on 11 minutes a game. So you got to think that he's got a bigger role this year. So it's just, you know, you invested a high draft pick in him. What are you going to get out of uh, Obi Toppin? Yeah, true. And per 36 minutes, only 13 points per game. And so even when you're adjusting those numbers, like he just didn't have a great rookie season. He didn't get a ton of tick, but yeah, he needs to be a lot better. And I think the reason he didn't see the floor is you have major defensive uh, issues with him. Uh, the Knicks, we're a really good defensive team. And so we had a solid defensive rating at 108. But if you're going to break into the rotation on a Tom Thibodeau team, you need to be a defender that never takes a playoff. And honestly, you have to be like a plus defender. Uh, and so that's where it's going to be interesting to see what happens with guys like him and Fournier uh, who have had their issues defensively. Um, I think Fournier's done enough around the league to have earned he's going to be a starter. I think he's going to be a solid contributor and someone they really needed a team that kind of 
couldn't match the firepower of the Hawks last. Like the Hawks were the perfect team to play the Knicks last season because they exposed them. <laughs> you know, uh, I believe the Knicks were the favorite in that series, but then we all got to see what happens when the Knicks run into a team with better offense. They just can't. It's an offense first league right now. Uh, so I think that they kind of like took some of those weaknesses and I wouldn't say turned them into strengths, but certainly got stronger, you know, uh, but then you can't have offensive guys who are bad at defense either. That's just not going to work with, uh, with Tommy T. No one's ever called him Tommy T probably since middle school. So uh, fibs, let's just stick with that. Uh, all right. I think now is the appropriate time to talk about the Boston Celtics because it seems inevitable that we we, we got to lead the two most interesting situations to last. Okay, fair enough. I have the Celtics uh, finishing second in the division. And uh, what is the over-under on the win total there, Adam? I have them at 50. I got them uh, third. So I got I got the team I have first and then I have the Knicks. Everyone knows the team I have first, let's be honest. Um, but right behind the Knicks, the over under is 45 and a half. And I think that's spot on. I'm not touching it. Like if I'm, if I'm a betting man, which I am, I'm not touching it, man. That's perfect. That's a perfect line. They'll have 45 wins or they'll have 46 wins. That That is their wiggle room right there. Like you're, you're playing with fire. <laughs> uh, Vegas always does a good job. Not always, but usually does a pretty good job on those. And I think they absolutely nailed this one. Uh, the Celtics are so interesting because I look at this roster and it screams Brad Stevens to me, but obviously he's not going to be coaching anymore. Uh, Udoka is uh, that's how I, you pronounce that one. It's not Udoka, it's Udoka. Udoka, yeah, Ime Udoka. Yeah, and so that's someone who's like really gathered a lot of steam the last like two or three years as far as a really good prospect seems to be like a player's first guy. And I look at the Celtics team and I think that they should find their footing last year because they just had so many issues with injuries last year. It was a weird season for a lot of reasons. Um, but Al Horford, man, he was actually really solid last year when he was playing in 28 minutes per game. He was around six, seven rebounds, which is pretty Horford-esque. And then uh, he won't be the paint beast he used to be. And frankly, uh, I'm not, I, I'm just really surprised that he didn't keep Moses Brown. It seemed like they had him for a cup of coffee. I think he's someone who could have really helped the Celtics. I remember texting you and saying like, Hey, that's a sneaky, good pickup. Um, when they got him from OKC, but now he's with the Mavericks and he's going to be great alongside Luka Doncic. That's a talk, conversation for another show, but the chemistry and fit is still there. He's a great passer. He moves the ball well, and he can move his feet well enough to be a versatile defender with, I, I just think it's just so important when you consider the rest of the who's on this team and the fact that they are going to be a small ball club by default, you know, Jason Tatum's you're like small forward who's playing power forward. Um, and then Jalen Brown's kind of like someone who I think can play two through four, but I really want him at the three. Uh, but they had a really sneaky good off season. They picked up cousin Dennis, Dennis Schroeder, that is. Uh, and he's an interesting piece because he's not as good as Kemba, but Kemba had those injury issues last year. So hopefully he stays on the floor a little bit more. And I think Dennis Schroeder was crazy for, for trying to get all that money and crazy for not taking all that money from L.A. Bro, you are like slightly above average. You were getting, you had a chance to be overpaid. 
So I don't know who's in his corner hyping him up, but he's got a great hype team, an unrealistic hype team, because he didn't deserve that money. And he didn't take it because he thinks he's like some sort of max. Nah, dude, you're Dennis Schroeder. You're solid. You're solid. You're going to be a good point guard on the Boston Celtics. And you're going to be like at, at the very best, the third best player on that team. But like maybe the fourth, you know, like you're just going to be solid. So I, I don't know. Uh, head scratching on that. Uh, I think they got a super high ceiling though. So all that to say that like, even though I have them at 44 wins, so, you know, right there with it, at least that's what I've written down. I think I said 45 or 46, right? Um, but they're right around there. If Jason Tatum goes bananas, which I think he could, you got to look at that Jason Tatum game against the San Antonio Spurs last season. Tatum goes for 60. The Celtics are dead in the water. And then the ghost of Larry Bird, I mean, I guess he's still alive, like, but the ghosts in the rafters, you know what I mean? There's something special about that place where you can just like channel the uh, energy of some like <laughs> retired legend. You see it happen, you know? And so all of a sudden, Larry Bird, Space Jam style, like enters the, the body of Jason Tatum and he just goes off for 60 points and they come back and win that game. That's the kind of player he is, though. And if he can shell out an MVP-type year, then this is a team that has an extremely high ceiling, and you're talking about maybe 52 wins. I don't think that's going to happen. But the Celtics will go as far as they take him. And I think the most important thing, you look at the Celtics last few years, like, there is no doubt whose team this is. Jalen Brown, I expect to be a solid facilitator on this team, but like this is Jason Tatum's team. Like it, it kind of has been, but then you had like your Kemba Walker, you had your Kyrie Irving. Like, no, this is Jason Tatum's team. He's going to have the ball in his, in his hands, and he's the guy defenses are going to have to worry about uh, because I think he is going to have a career year. We'll see if they're good enough to really make it happen. Uh, I'm just going to pull up his stats from last year real quick. Uh, what do you expect out of him? Because I know you always have a ear to the ground on the Boston Celtics as a lifelong fan. With Jason Tatum? Yeah. I mean, I think he's a, an MVP candidate for sure early on. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But he's just gotten better and better and better since his rookie season. Yeah. Um, one of the he's things- only 23. Yeah. And one of the things that he mentioned in an interview, too, I don't know if this will boost his MVP candidacy, but he's really committed to the defensive end. Um, So that's something that, you know, obviously uh, I wouldn't say a great defender, but definitely not a bad defender. So kind of that middle of the pack, maybe a little bit better than that. So the fact that he's really committed defensively this season, um, at least is what he's been saying, I I think is a plus. Um, I, I look at, you know, the biggest concern that I had with this team, and I think that you can pick up on this if uh, you've listened to previous podcasts, but their bench was horrendous last year. Yeah. They had, they had so much just dead weight on there and they got rid of the dead weight. So uh, Cornette is gone. Trey Waters, who's a decent player, but he's like 5'10. You know, there's only so much you can get out of that. Um, right. You know, he's gone. Carson Edwards is gone. My least favorite pro- player in the league, Shemi Ojale, is gone. <laughs> uh, just a lot of guys were like, if they got some burn, you were like, 
what do we expect out of these guys? Like, I feel like they were just taking up minutes. So, you know, one of the things that stands out to me, um, and I kind of have like a projected lineup based on what they threw out there for the preseason game, but like off the bench, Schroeder, Peyton Pritchard, who had a phenomenal season last year as a rookie. I only expect him to get better. Yeah. Uh, Josh Richardson had a down year as, uh, last year, but I think that he's perfectly capable of giving you 10 at least off the bench. Really uh, important defensive pickup too. Yeah. Aaron Neesmith, elite three-point shooter. So if he can just find the role that, you know, kind of was lacking early on last year and, uh, you know, really gets his minutes, really settles into a rhythm and kind of is like a spot up three-point shooter. Um, I, I think Aaron Neesmith, I think basically they nailed the draft last year. Uh, with Neesmith and Pritchard, it's just a matter of can they get their reps? Can they get their minutes? Can they find a role? Um, and then, you know, does Horford come off the bench? Uh, he did in the preseason game, played well. Um, I think Horford is just a, a really good floor spacer. Um, so a little bit undersized as, as a five, you know, being six nine, but he can step out. He can shoot the three-pointer. He's done that his whole career for the most part. Um, like you said, not necessarily an elite rebounder, but a good defensive presence outside can step out and guard someone on the perimeter. So I like the versatility there with Horford. That's mm -hmm. not really something that we saw last year um, from. It was a weakness team. last year. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't really have anything inside last year having, you know, Tice at the five and, and he's gone. Uh, Romeo Langford, elite defender as well, who's kind of stepped up his offensive game. And then I really like Ennis Cantor. Um, you know, he can get you 10 and 10 quickly. I, I get so confused whether he's on the Blazers or the Celtics, like year to year. Yeah, this is a second go around with the Celtics. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. So, but, you know, a really good offensive rebounder, which is obviously good. Total defensive liability. We know yeah. what he's point. But like I said, in, in limited minutes when he was with the Celtics and kind of with the Blazers last year where, you know, he'll get you – 10 points and 10 rebounds in, you know, 15 minutes. Yeah. So he, he's a very efficient player. Um, and so looking at the lineup that they threw out there, um, in my opinion, the, the X factor here is Marcus Smart. Can he be your true point guard? Can he play heavy minutes? Can he shoot? I know he shot over 40% from the floor just once in his career. So he's not a very efficient offensive player, obviously an elite defensive player. So, you know, does he take a step offensively? He's obviously going to bring the grit defensively. You know what you're going to get out of him. And then, uh, you know, Jalen Brown at the two, uh, Tatum at the three, and then kind of the the front court, which wouldn't play heavy minutes, but Robert Williams was really, really good. They extended him for four years. I was wondering when you were going to bring him up. He's like your favorite player on earth. Yeah, I mean, he was ninth in the league in player efficiency rating, which is uh, just a lot, of, a lot of good pick and roll play. Yeah. Robert Williams, elite defender as well. Um, and then another, I think it's, it might be a sneaky good pickup, in my opinion, Juan Hernan Gomez that yeah. they got. Uh, I just like him. You yeah, know, just straight up, I, I just like him. Yeah, he, and I, I guess this might go against my point, but he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time in his career, which is, you know, obviously there's a reason for that, unless the organizations he played for, Minnesota, uh, you know, didn't know what they're doing, which could be the case. It's Minnesota. Yeah, in um, Denver, he was just buried. Yeah. But this is a guy where I think it was two seasons ago when he played, should probably get the numbers here in front of me, but it was like 14 games with Minnesota. And he kind of played, um, I wouldn't say heavy minutes, but more minutes than he had played before. So let me pull up that stat line. So 29 minutes played in the 2019-2020 season with Minnesota. And that was the most burn that he got. 
and, you know, 45% from the field, 42% from three, and gave you 13 points a game and seven boards. So if you can get him kind of in that 20 to 27 minutes a game range, you know, do you have a, a nice big who can shoot the outside shot? Do you have a big who is, you know, decent in the, in the pick and roll as well? Um, a little undersized too, just like Horford, 6'9", but has a seven-foot uh, wingspan. I, I just like him, like you said. He's just an overall, like, decent basketball player. Like, he's not going to be a star, but he's not going to be a guy who's just sitting on the bench either. Uh, and with what they had last year in the front court, or I should say lacking in the front court, I just think that they added pieces that addressed major issues. And I still think that the front court – in my opinion, has been a concern since 2012. You know, for, for almost 10 years, they haven't had good rebounding in the front court, good scoring in the front court, obviously since Kevin Garnett left. Um, but again, they they just have better players. They, they don't have a Vincent Poirier or a, a Luke Cornett or guys who are like, I mean, you're seven foot, but like, what are you bringing to the table? Yeah. I think that those uh, questions have been answered. So on paper, know, they're a much better team than last year. Exactly. And last year, I think there were a lot of things that were going against them. Everyone was hurt at one point or another. Uh, right. I don't remember what the number was, but when they had their their lineup of, um, you know, like Kemba, Marcus Smart, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, kind of their core four there. I don't think that they played more than like three games together. The Celtics were the worst good team in basketball. Yes. I mean, like, very underwhelming last year. Yeah, that, that's not what you want. Uh, one guy I think that the city of Boston is going to absolutely fall in love with if he can get some minutes is Ryan Archidiacono. Uh, if you may remember, he's the one who set up, who hit that shot for Villanova to win it all? Chris Jenkins. Chris Jenkins. So Archie's the one who set up that play. He kind of like set. Like the little shovel pass. Yeah, it was like, it wasn't a moving screen. But he, like, dribbled up, got the defender out of the way by, like, standing directly in his way and then, like, flipped it over to Jenkins. Like, he's smart like that. The Bulls' first season of the game last year was against uh, the Hornets. I think it was last year. Maybe it was the year before. It's all a blur lately, right? But anyway, Archie Diacono comes over, and uh, the Bulls are trying to pull off this miraculous run, and I believe they're down two points. Archie strips the ball on the baseline and then somehow bounces it out to Levine who hits the game winner. But those scrappy end of the game plays, he's not someone who's ever going to make an all-star team in the NBA, but he's someone who's going to play his ass off. And he's someone who's going to show up every single night and do what's called upon him. Like he actually had a really strong uh, final game with the Chicago Bulls when he actually got to get some minutes, but just kind of observing what Boston sports culture embraces. It seems like they really like those hard hat and lunch pail kind of guys. And he's a perfect dirty work player. And he's kind of like a poor man's Pritchard, you know? And so he's a really good fit from an identity standpoint and he's straight up, one of my favorite players in the NBA because I really enjoyed uh, covering him as an opponent. When I was at DePaul, he was at Villanova. And so uh, when I was covering those men's basketball games, I got to see him up close and personal a lot. And I just think he's maybe a little, 
he's someone who like if you drop him into the 80s or 90s like he'd have a much better uh career i think we're a bigger more athletic league now but if you put put him in an era where it's not as different to be a smaller uh point guard you know that six one uh buck 90 probably uh kind of build like he'd be able to make that happen and get more tick but in the modern nba uh i think that there's more and more you know six five point guards and stuff like that uh but i i like him and i do think that the uh celtics are going to be a really solid team they're hard to evaluate they got a new coach they got a new a lot of new players but uh i'd be surprised if they were but i'd be really surprised if they weren't better than last year the roster makes more sense. Uh, Udoka comes in expected to be a really good coach in this league. Uh, the hate went too far on Danny Ainge. Like people started talking about like how he should be fired. Like, I don't know, man. Like he, he, he missed on some, but he's also really hit on some. I think he's one of the best traders in the NBA. He robbed the, like the Brooklyn Nets had to like go live underground for a few years, you know, they had to live in the sewers with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because that's how bad it was after they traded with Danny Ainge. And meanwhile, Danny Ainge laughing to the bank, drafting all these uh, guys. Who, who did they get out of those, uh, you know, Brooklyn Nets picks? Oh, man. Um, I'm trying to remember how long that, you know, the, those picks went. And obviously he was wheeling and dealing those picks for more picks. Yeah. Um, later on and, and packaging a bunch of things. But I do believe that the Brown and Tatum picks got them in better position um, than if they were to have their own picks. Um, so there, there's that. Um, I, I think, was it the, uh, did they have the third pick in 2017 or did they have the first pick and then traded back? I, th- I think they might've had the first pick in 2017. And, and I was calling for Markel Fultz before they got Kyrie Irving. And then they had, uh, they were going to take Tatum all along. So I, I think Tatum was a little upset because he's like, man, the difference in pay between the number one pick and the number three pick is a few million dollars. I would have liked to stay on this team, but be drafted number one. But yeah, I, I think that the biggest takeaways were uh, were Brown and Tatum there. Yeah, Tatum, they got third overall in uh, 2017. Brown, third uh, overall in 2016. Yeah. And so, and, and you know, Jalen Brown, obviously he's got to take another big step up because that dude – is special. He had a really, really good year last year. And it was such a shame that he got hurt uh, because they would have been more fun in the playoffs with a healthy Jalen Brown, but it's going to come down to Brown and Tatum, you know, like it's so clearly their, their team. They've been there forever now, but you know, Brown just took a huge leap uh, last year to a guy who's just under 25 points per game. And so he's 24 years old. He's going to be 25. We actually have the same birthday. And so uh, on the 24th of October, uh, Jalen Brown will be 25. But from year to year, you know, he he has taken these steps up. Uh, he was 20 points per game to 24 points per game. Uh, 2018-19, he was only 13 points per game. And so, like, he's emerging as a legitimate star in this league and – he's just got to stay on that trajectory because it's time for him and Tatum to uh, 
both look like legitimate all-stars and Brown needs to be the Pippen to Tatum's Jordan at this point. And then all bets are off. Cause as I, if I, as I said earlier in this segment, Jason Tatum's an MVP candidate, then the Celtics are going to be a really good team, but that also requires Jalen Brown to be a hell of a Robin because after that, I think you have a lot of concerns who's going to go score points. I don't think Horford can do it. I don't think smart can do it. I don't think shooter can do it. Sure. Some guys can do it from night to night, but one of my concerns with the Celtics is you have two really good scores and then not as much outside of that, that the defense is going to have to focus on. So Udoka has got his work cut out for him. I think it's going to be a good system. I think that you have a good thing going there where you have Ainge, who's a very smart basketball mind, someone who uh, had success throughout his entire NBA career, uh, whether it was with the, the Celtics or the Suns, or even I think he had one year uh, in 91 with uh, maybe two years with the Portland Trailblazers, but he's been around good basketball forever. Uh, you know, it, it's so easy to blame. Uh, Brad Stevens for last year, but I don't blame him for last year. I think they were just snake bitten, but then he's another great basketball mind. And then you have Udoka, but I think it's a bit of a brain trust here. I think that they're going to be able to come up with a really good identity that makes sense for their team. And so uh, the Boston Celtics, all in all, they have to be taken very seriously. Uh, Any other thoughts on them before we move into the, the final two teams in this division? I think the only quick point I want to add is maybe you don't have that third scorer who's going to get you 15 to 20, but a lot of guys who can get you 10 to 12. So I I think it's just kind of a more of a a, a macro look at it where it's like, okay, the points are going to come. It's just might going to come from more bodies than that same bulk of points, but from less guys, I think. Cause I, I mean, Schroeder, Pritchard, Richardson, Neesmith, Horford, not Langford, probably, unless he takes a massive step. Cantor, all can get you 10 to 12 a night. Yeah, that's fair. So it, it'll it'll just come, I think, from more bodies. And then, like you said, Brown and Tatum. Brown maybe 25, Tatum 30-plus. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think the points will come. And they were a team that was, uh, you know, better offensively than defensively last year. And one of the things that they'll be able to do to this season, in my opinion, is be a much better defensive team. They were middle of the pack last year. I think that they ascend into the top third of the league for sure. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good place to leave it. All right. So both of these teams are very interesting. Uh, do you want to get into the Sixers or the Nets first? Your call. Oh boy. I think that we can kind of tackle both maybe at the same time, just because we obviously we we've talked outside of the podcast and there's a major trade that I think would benefit both teams. Um, that can lead to more movement. So just for transparency purposes, I have the Sixers third in the division as it stands right now, uh, 47 and 35, and the Nets 58 and 24. Okay. So being the the first place team, obviously, in the division with the Nets. So, uh, I mean, go ahead and pick your poison. What do you want to tackle first? Um, I suppose let's go Sixers, just going off what you just said, because I'm, I'm low on them, man. I think they are – oh, man. It's unfortunate. but. Let me just get this out of the way. Uh, just in life, man. So I'm, I'm gonna. What did you used to call me in Montana, Confucius? 
Yeah, I'm going to get real philosophical, all right? Just in life, don't ever try to suck. It won't work. It's bad. It's dumb. This is what will happen. You'll get stuck being mediocre. People will laugh at you. You'll have bad karma. And your best player is going to be kind of obnoxious. These are all things that happened with the Philadelphia 76ers when they decided to suck ass intentionally. And then they went on. You're like, all right, no, no, trust the process. Here's the process. We're going we're gonna to draft these. We're going to get really good draft picks. Oh, yeah, it's going to be so good. We're going to make it happen, man. And what did they do, Kurt? What did they do? They drafted a bunch of centers, most of which were busts. And the one they did hit on only played 50-some games last year and is a constant injury concern and a major troll. Yet, he is going to talk about himself like he's the best player in the league. This is a problem. Now, Ben Simmons, sure, they hit on that one. Like, he's a pretty good basketball player. Look what happened in the playoffs. We have a problem. Markel Fultz, we have a problem. Nerlens Noel, we have a problem. Jay, uh, Jalil Okafor, what do I remember from his Philly career? Him driving too fast on a bridge. <laughs> in, in, in a clip of him just putzing around on defense. I believe it's the famous clip is against the Miami Heat where like he got exposed and never was allowed to play basketball again. Like he, he's just been bounced around. He's an afterthought. They did all this tanking and then completely blew it with bad draft picks. And that's the risk you run when you are intentionally bad. It might go wrong. Don't do it. Compete. Look at the Celtics, man. Like the Celtics before they were able to uh, take that next step forward. It was like the the who the hell are these guys Celtics with Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder and just like a bunch of misfit pieces. I can't even remember. You probably remember better than me, but then they like got to the playoffs. They were a number one seed. Somehow. Yeah. Like there's <laughs> other ways to do it. And they never at one point were like, all right, let's suck intentionally. It's been a disaster and they got good PR, but no, it's been a disaster for years. They came close when they had Jimmy Butler, and they should have kept Jimmy Butler, but why did they get rid of Jimmy Butler? Because Ben Simmons needed the ball in his hands, man. Ben Simmons is going to be there long-term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they wanted to pay Tobias Harris instead. Okay, okay. Sure, sure, sure. But they didn't bring back Jimmy Butler. They didn't bring back J.J. Redick. And what have they been since? The, uh, the Sphinx in ancient Egypt, just slowly crumbling, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's only a matter of time before their nose falls off because this team's losing its identity fast. Uh, so there's my little soliloquy about the Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> that pretty much encapsulates exactly how I feel about this team. I think they're, they're in major trouble. If they don't get anything back for Simmons, they're in trouble. Kyrie Irving would help, right? Joel Embiid, the injury issues. Tobias Harris, not good enough to leave a team or to lead a team, and honestly, not good enough to be the second-best player on a team that's supposed to fight to come out of the East. 
I don't believe in the way the team's built. They're going to take a step back. And Bede only played 51 games last season. This is an issue. Always has been. And so when he goes out, which will happen to the Sixers, they're going to look like a bad team. Because without him, they are a bad team. And so I'm going to take a look at the over-unders here. What, what do you think the over-under is? Oh, boy. I feel like people are going to be higher on them than we are. Oh, they are. I'm shocked. Uh, 49? Wow, that was close. It's 50 and a half. Give me a break. I got them at 43. I'm at 47. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's Nets, obviously. And then it's like interchangeably Nick Celtics. And then it's the Sixers. Because what like just look at this roster. And like I don't know, because they're so hard to analyze because if they flip Simmons for a Malcolm Brogdon, uh, or they're able to uh do a, a straight up like Kyrie for Simmons, it's a different situation. But right now, like you're telling me Tyrese Maxey, Seth Curry. A thousand-year-old Danny Green, uh, you know, he remembers the Sphinx. That's how old he is. Uh, Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid, that's your team? That's your team that's going to be a 50-win team? In what world? <laughs> like, Take the under. Take the under. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, man, there's no way I can follow that up, too. So, you know, <laughs> we, we, we don't need to spend as much time on my take, but I have a few notes here, and you pretty much echoed it. Uh, what will happen with Ben Simmons? Obviously, not with the team right now. Forfeiting $8.5 million. God, I wish I was in a position to be able to do that. Must be nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> must be nice, exactly. <laughs> um, we have heard rumors, you know, like C.J. McCollum could be a, a, a trade piece there. He'd be a perfect fit. Trade McCollum for a... Uh, for Ben Simmons, but um, Ooh, know, I kind of love that. As you, as you mentioned, though, it's it's a lot easier to replace nothing. And right now, Ben Simmons uh, is not with the team. So, right, you know, Embiid always hurt, like you said, missing 20-plus games a season. You can kind of just expect that. Will he be around for the playoffs? Who knows? He's going to get injured at some point. Just how bad is it? Uh, Tobias Harris really over, or I should say, underwhelmed in the postseason. Um, and then, yeah, you, you mentioned Curry, but uh, Furkan Korkmaz, he's a decent team, uh, decent player, Matisse Thibel, but like, what else? Furkan you know? Korkmaz uh, sounds like something you'd say when like you stub your toe. Ah, oh, <laughs> Furkan Korkmaz! That's what Doc Rivers might be saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just one of those things where I feel like pictures have always tried to find a way to, to be better than maybe people expect, and that's why I gave them you know, I guess it would still be the under 47, but I'm, I guess I'm a little bit more bullish than uh, than you are on them. And again, this is all given the fact that Ben Simmons is not there right now. Right. So you trade him for a, even a, a decent piece. Like, you know, you can trade him for, uh, you know, an established veteran that maybe matches the same salary constraints. Um, I think that that'd be the best case scenario. You could flip Simmons for draft picks down the road, which, Hey, you know, keep on processing, uh, or you yeah. just, or you, or you just keep him and you're like, well, maybe he'll show up or maybe he won't, who knows? But, uh, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it just looks like a, a massive headache yeah. right now for sure. By the but, way, Andre Drummond. <laughs> yeah. Andre Drummond. So now you have, and like, that's a fun 2K team. 
put Drummond at the five and beat at the four, but like, it's not going to work in real life. <laughs> Too much of a log jam. Yeah. yeah. I, when you were listing off the players that they had drafted, I was like, Oh my God, this team has been processing since 2013. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like when we were in the editing room uh, back in great falls, we would get the spinning wheel of death. You, they just stay processing. <laughs> Eventually you have to restart the computer. That's a great announcement. That's a, we got to leave it on that, Adam. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, this just in. The Sixers have traded Joel Embiid. They are giving up on the process. No, no, no. Oh, I was about to say, are you serious? Yeah. yeah. That changes everything. Now they're yeah. under the afters. Yeah, yeah, right? Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see, man. Just, you know, sorry, Philadelphia fans. We're keeping it real probably going to have some really negative ratings after ripping them like that. But uh, yeah, let's use this as a bridge, right? Because we'll talk about the Nets last, but let's talk about the trade that we kind of cooked up. And I don't think we're the only ones who've cooked it up, but if you trade Ben Simmons for Kyrie Irving, it changes everything. All of a sudden you have a really nice scoring point guard, who can dish uh, playing alongside Joel Embiid. Like you have that penetrator. Uh, he could really just fit in beautifully. And then, you know, for the, the nets, they get the best defender on the team. Someone you can play uh, wherever you need him, whether you want to have him at the point or the power forward, or you have, you know, Harden at the point. Uh, Simmons at the point, if you want to do, you probably would do a lot with both of them. I don't know how likely this is, but then also these guys have pretty weird little asterisks. Like Kyrie might not get vaccinated. Ben Simmons is afraid to shoot the basketball. Weirdos. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you think that Simmons sitting out where uh, he loses eight and a half million is bad. I believe it's, and you're going to have a field day with this one, Adam. I'll, I'll give you your time for sure. But uh, Kyrie Irving being the part-time player. Part-time player. Forfeiting uh, 12 and a half million, I believe is what it is. If he can't play any of his games in Brooklyn. Oh, is that, I'm, I'm rubbing my eyes folks. Uh, is this a technical term? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's, he's capped at 20 hours a week. So does he still get benefits? <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone is going to want to be around the guy. Is this how Kyrie Irving wins? He gets to just like oh, I'll be there part time because <laughs> that's what he's tried to do his whole career. Like ah, no, 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 dude. I I sneezed this morning. I can't play. So yeah, I mean you're you're ruling him out for half so half the season anyway with the home games. Yeah, but then yeah, what about the phantom injuries? Oh, I'm having leg tightness. Oh, <laughs> oh, you mean you're a professional basketball player and your legs are tight? No shit, man. Your legs, they're feeling tight. There's some stuff if an injury is an injury, right? Like, But yeah, dude, at this point, it's a cry wolf situation with Kyrie Irving and the injuries. I can't take them as seriously anymore. He goes to the beat of his own drum. He's got all this weird drama, whether it's about the shoes or the vaccination. Like, he seems to be, um, I mean, he's a total diva. He's, he's a prima donna. And, like, 
Uh, but he's so talented. He's probably the best ball handle, handler in the NBA. He can practically score at will. He has so much control. He's made some huge shots. He's unbelievable. And he would be so fun alongside Joel Embiid. And if I'm the Sixers, I'm taking that risk. If I'm the Sixers, I would have accepted the trade with Malcolm Brogdon a long time ago. Because Brogdon's a 6'6 point guard who can play either guard position and would work perfectly well on any team. Brogdon's a rare player where he could be, he could fit on just about any any NBA roster because you can start him and feel really good about it at either guard spot. He's a really good defender. He's a 40% shooter from three. Uh, I don't have those numbers right in front of me, but that seems like where he's always seemed to be hovering. Uh, and if I'm the Sixers, I want a sure thing. So maybe I would rather have Brogdon than Kyrie, even though Kyrie's obviously better than Brogdon. But if they get Kyrie and Kyrie plays, then all of a sudden you're talking about a 54-win team or something. Because the things you can do with him and Embiid, when you look at Simmons and Embiid, like Embiid turned into a really good three-point shooter, but you kind of want him for offensive rebounds too. It just creates a weird situation where it's not like the Nuggets where it works so beautifully because Murray can hit threes and so can Jokic and you can all do all these fun things on the outside and Murray isn't 6'4", but he can get to the rim. Maybe not as well as, well, yeah, no, just as well as Simmons. He's he's quicker. He's a better ball handler. You can play that two-man game. I don't think that the two-man game between Simmons and Embiid has been as smooth. And yeah, this is... This is, uh, if they were a Batman villain, they, they'd be the Riddler because they're just nothing but question marks. Uh, so I don't know, man. I just don't know. Part-time player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things about Kyrie Irving, in my opinion, but like before they got Harden, I think he was a, a key piece because you kind of need two superstars to make deep playoff runs nowadays. But when they got Harden, I don't want to say – Kyrie is like an afterthought, but it's just one of those things where you don't really need him. I mean, the ball sticks with him. He's not a great facilitator, which is why I think the Simmons trade would be absolutely perfect. I know it's a hypothetical, but you get a a headache out, um, you know, who keeps the ball in his hands and you bring in a guy in Simmons who would be a great rebounder, great defender, great facilitator, which is something that every team needs. Um, And then you, you still have the scoring with Harden and, and KD. So with the Nets, I, I mean, it's it's the obvious pick at number one in the division for sure. I mean, it's my NBA champion at the end of the season if everything goes well. Um, but highest offensive efficiency rating, true shooting percentage, and effective field goal percentage in the league. Um, I, I, I think that we can assume that James Harden is going to be healthy this year. Uh, obviously, he had a really bum hamstring in the playoffs and could play and was better than you know, whoever else they could throw out there, but he was not even close to being James Harden. So if you can get, you know, 80, 90% of what James Harden used to be, that's going to be a huge lift for them. Kevin Durant. I mean, you could get a hundred, you know, James Harden could be MVP this year. Yeah. I've been saying this since 2016, Kevin Durant's the best basketball player in the league. Um, I, I really like the move of bringing on Patty Mills, a player who was really good with the San Antonio Spurs. Um so I think that that is a nice addition to the bench. And then I mentioned it too in previous podcasts, Cam Thomas had a really good summer league and is just mm-hmm. a volume scorer 
not necessarily a guy who shoots the ball all that efficiently, but a guy who can give you some scoring off the bench if you need Harden and Katie to take a rest or, you know, play one or the other and then need another scorer there. Um, I like Cam Thomas out of LSU, the rookie that they have. Losing Jeff Green hurts a little bit. Um, good wing, good role player. Uh, a guy who was kind of like the secondary scorer in the playoffs when Harden and Kyrie were out. Um, you know, he, he gave you 20 points a game. Uh, he is now gone. So I think that that hurts them to, to an extent, for sure. It would have been nice to have him, I think, if you're a Nets fan. But, you know, given all the other things that are going their way, I think that health and rest are kind of the, the concerns moving forward. You know, who gets hurt if they get hurt? How much do you rest a guy? What does that mean for your overall finish within the conference and how that stacks up with the seeding in the playoffs? Um, but as I've been saying since, uh, I guess it would be last year, um, because Kyrie and Katie were hurt their first year, the only team that can beat the Brooklyn Nets is the Brooklyn Nets. So I was waiting we'll, for it. Beautifully yeah. said. We'll see what happens with them. Uh, Paul Millsap, interesting pickup, right? Because Millsap is left in the tank. Exactly. Exactly. Blake Griffin, Lamarcus Aldridge are also there, but they're not even close to being what they were in their yeah. prime. So who knows what we'll get from them? Millsap was an afterthought for the Nuggets in the playoffs. You know, he uh, played seven minutes which says a lot in that last game against Phoenix. Uh, you know, and that was just game three. So, you know, he really wasn't a rotation guy at the end there. He played uh, an average of 12 minutes per game in the postseason, uh, just under 21 minutes per game in the regular season. Uh, he averaged five rebounds a game last year. Like this is a very old, 36 years old, Paul Millsap. And I don't want to take anything away from him because he's going to be an important player on that team. Like he's going to play really important minutes on the bench. And there's going to be times when they need Paul Millsap to just for five, 10 minute stretches to be Paul Millsap, like a solid, big, a good defender, someone who's going to knock down that open three. Uh, he shot 34% from three last year in the regular season, 26% from the postseason. So he had a bad playoffs and he's just, I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know what you get out of him at this point in his career. I do like Claxton though. Yeah. Yeah. I love Claxton and, and, and like he, uh, Millsap he, in 18 minutes of action uh, with the Nets, he had his uh, 10 and 10 double, double in the win. So um, they were really sad to lose him in Denver. I wouldn't. I was kind of hoping the Bulls would go after him at a, a small deal, but obviously they didn't, and he, he's not going to be a huge difference maker. Uh, but they like have a lot of guys like this who it's like over the. It's like all star team, and then like the all has been team. I, I like. I, I definitely want to talk on Clax, and I want to say Blake Griffin, like. At this point, maybe a little underrated. The defense he played against Giannis was incredible. Uh, he, he's really evolved. He's turned into a really good dirty work guy. But in the playoffs last year, you know, he shot 39% from three. Uh, he's a weirdly good fit with them. If they did uh, bring along Ben Simmons, it would be amazing to see Simmons and uh, – Blake Griffin is this kind of like interchangeable 
pick and roll guy or, or pick and roll pair. Uh, but yeah, Nick Claxton, I really like this kid. I think um, he should get a lot of minutes. We'll see if he does, but he moves real well for a big. And let's see what we got last season for him. Uh, yeah, just 19 minutes per game. Uh, it's nice to have just a bouncy uh, lob finisher, underrated. Um, like, you don't want him running the floor, but he, he, he'd he be an excellent trailer. He's seems to be a lot quicker than most bigs. He's going to be one of those, like, X factors. For the Nets to uh, win the championship, you need the old guys to play really well when they're called upon, that being uh, Griffin, Millsap, Aldridge. But you really need Claxton to be consistent. Um, and him and Joe Harris really need to be pretty key pieces for it to work. But, yeah, they're going to be outstanding, man. With or without uh, Kyrie Irving, they're going to be really good. With or without Ben Simmons, they're going to be really good. I do think. Um, Irving is digging himself a massive hole with uh, this vaccine situation, leaving the uh, vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers thing out of it. I don't want to talk about anything about like what the right thing to do is. All I'm saying is that the league seems to really want you to get vaccinated if you want to play. And so Kyrie Irving has been a part-time player for a few years, but much like Simmons, one of the reasons it would be a great trade pair, it's driving down his value. It's going to be hard for them to get fair value, um, much like the Sixers are going to have a hard time finding fair value for Simmons. So uh, you trade Simmons to the Nets, and I think this is like a 64-win team. Yeah, what's the over-under on their win total? Oh, I'm sure it's very, they're uh, 56 and a half and I have them at 55. I'm at 58. Okay. So we're, we're right on pace with that. Yeah. Um, just a few question marks, not, not as many as the Sixers, but a few question marks. All right. Uh, anything else you want to touch on this division, my friend? No, I think that's it. We've covered everything. I think we have. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, the Hoops Promise Podcast. I guess this was episode one season preview series. I'm Adam. He's Kurt. We'll see you next time. And as always, we want to give a quick shout out to Evan Butris. He designed our logo. If you like his work, check him out on Instagram at the Wax Cowboy. Uh, shoot him a DM. He's pretty responsive. Doing some great work out there in the Colorado Longmont area. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a friendly rating on Apple. Uh, that really does help us uh, get in the algorithm where people find out we exist and that's half the battle uh thank you very much we'll see you next time